Today's scripture reading is Exodus 12, 24 through 27, and 13, 11 through 16. Keep this command permanently as a statute for you and for your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, you are to observe this ceremony. When your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? You are to reply, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord, for he passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and spared our homes. So the people knelt low and worshiped. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and to your fathers and gives it to you, you are to present to the Lord every firstborn male of the womb. All firstborn offspring of the livestock you own that our males will be the Lord's. You must redeem every firstborn of a donkey with a flock animal, but if you do not redeem it, break its neck. However, you must redeem every firstborn among your sons. In the future, when your son asks you, what does this mean? Say to him, by the strength of his hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed every firstborn man in the land of, male in the land of Egypt both the firstborn of humans and the firstborn of livestock. That is why I sacrifice to the Lord all the firstborn of the womb that are males, but I redeem all the firstborn of my sons. So let it be a sign on your hand and a symbol on your forehead, for the Lord brought us out of Egypt by the strength of his hand. Uh, please open your Bibles to Exodus 12 if you have not. Um, we're going to be in parts of Exodus 12 and parts of Exodus 13 this morning. Some events are so significant, so life-changing, so history-altering, so meaningful that they're worth remembering, they're worth celebrating. Every July 4th, our nation eats an ungodly amount of meat and potato salad and chips and jello salad and jello cake and ice cream and cherry pie. We set off civilian-grade explosives all to celebrate our freedom, to remember that almost 250 years ago that colonists threw off the monarchy of Britain and established a new nation in freedom. And what's remarkable is that an event almost 250 years in the past still gets eagerly celebrated today. Like the party has not slowed down one bit. We love celebrating freedom so much in this country. We'll even celebrate the fight for freedom of other nations. Cinco de Mayo, anyone? Y'all know some of you love Cinco de Mayo. But did you also know that's actually not Mexico's Independence Day? September 16th, if, I, if, if I'm correct. But don't let historical facts get in the way of a good party. <laughs> Some events are worth celebrating and remembering. And why is that? Because we recognize that in celebrating and remembering, we're formed as a people. There are ways in which we are formed in the values of freedom and independence because of our ongoing celebration. As I heard one person put it one time, I thought it was brilliant. We imitate what we celebrate. Why is it that the values of freedom and independence and self-reliance are so strong in this nation? 
Well, there's probably many reasons for that, but you better believe that one of them is because we celebrate it with such eagerness. Because regularly, every year, we make it a point to celebrate our history, remember where we came from, remember the values, and remember our fight for freedom and how that has shaped us as a nation. As we celebrate, we're shaped as a certain type of people. We imitate what we celebrate. And what's true for national and cultural events is also true for redemptive history and how it shapes God's people. For Israel, the people of God in the Old Testament, like the Passover wasn't just an event that they experienced and then they just kind of moved on with their life and kind of left it in the past. No, the Passover was something they were to remember and celebrate year after year after year after year in order to be shaped as the people of God who lived for the glory of God. And what was true for God's people in the Old Testament is true for us today. And so the title of my message this morning, to, to borrow uh, this statement from the man that I heard it from, is imitate what you celebrate. And here's the big point for us this morning. We remember and celebrate the gospel to be shaped by the gospel. We remember and celebrate the gospel to be shaped by the gospel. And so let's turn our attention first to Israel's celebration of the Passover. As we saw last week, the Passover was the great redemptive moment in the Old Testament. God brought judgment to Egypt and the gods of Egypt by striking down the firstborn, but he redeemed his people through the blood of the Lamb. And this moment defined Israel's identity to such an extent. This was so life-changing, so history-altering, that now this was going to signal their whole entire calendar. I mean, if you think about how incredible this is, like we have significant celebrations in our history, in our nation, but our calendar isn't set by those celebrations. They're kind of folded into an already established calendar and sense of time. The Passover actually set the calendar and set the sense of time for God's people. This is what God tells Moses to tell Israel in Exodus 12 too. This month is to be the beginning of months for you. It is the first month of your year. This is how significant the Passover was. Set their calendar, set their sense of time. And this first Passover celebration, there was some unique aspects to it. Israel had to prepare, prepare the meal uh, in, a, in a way to, that recognized, hey, you're about ready to leave Egypt in a hurry. They had to eat with their shoes on and a staff in their hand. Just the, the way they engaged that first Passover meal, it was to prepare them. Hey, God's going to deliver you, and Egypt is going to basically kick you out of here, so you need to be ready to go. In future Passover celebrations, there wasn't quite the same amount of haste involved. In fact, the Passover meal was going to be part of a week-long celebration, what was called the Festival of Unleavened Bread. But what we, what we need to recognize is that for the first Passover and all future Passovers, there were some things that were in common, namely the lamb and unleavened bread. And each part of this celebration was purposeful. It had meaning. They did it for a reason. You know, some of our traditions and some of our holidays, we do things and it makes sense why we do them. Like at Christmas time, we give gifts as a reflection of God giving Christ as a gift. And so gift giving reflects 
the meaningful gift that God gave us. Makes sense. At Easter, we celebrate Jesus is risen from the grave. Go hide the Easter eggs. Someone help me with that one, because I don't, I don't understand that. What is, what is hiding eggs, that rabbits don't even lay eggs, have to do with Jesus rising from the grave? So there are some traditions we do things that make, have no connection to the meaning of the event. But the Passover, what they did in the Passover, how they celebrated, the meaning actually rooted them in and shaped them in, the, the means rooted them in and shaped them in the meaning the methods that they had, the things that they ate, how they ate, what they did, all was meant to shape the people of God in a particular identity. And so, to start with, the fact that it was a meal had meaning. I mean, have you ever asked this question, why give a meal? Like when God calls people to remember and to celebrate, when he calls his people to remember and celebrate the most significant event in their life, the most history-defining event in their life. Why does he give them a meal? There's lots of ways to remember things. Why a meal? Well, what happens at a meal? When you sit down at a meal with a friend or family member, what, what's taking place? Relationship. You're deepening relationship. Some of your meals might not feel like you're deepening relationship, but that's what's happening. Intimacy is being built. Relationship is being built. Encouragement is being given. It's this life-giving relationship when we sit down to have a meal and remember what God's purpose and redemption was. In Exodus 6, 6 through 7, this is what he says. I will bring you out from the forced labor of the Egyptians and rescue you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. And here's the kicker. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. God redeemed them for relationship. And so it makes absolute sense that when God was going to give Israel a means by which to remember and celebrate redemption, it would be a meal. They're sitting down and fellowshipping with God, having relationship with God, being strengthened and encouraged by that relationship, being shaped in remembrance and celebration, absolutely, but more so being shaped by relationship with God. That's why it was a meal. Why seven days? Why give a seven-day celebration? Well, in Scripture, seven is the number of completion. And so a seven-day feast signified the sufficiency of the feast. You don't need to do anything else. Nothing more, nothing less. This is perfectly adequate to fulfill its purpose. The lamb. We saw this last week, that the lamb pointed to Israel's need for redemption. Though they were God's people, they were still guilty of sin and deserved judgment just as much as Egypt. And so to redeem them, God provided a substitute, an unblemished, a perfect lamb whose blood would pay for their sins. That lamb took the judgment that they deserved, this perfect and innocent lamb standing in place of the sinful and guilty. And so the, the, the lamb reminded Israel, every time they sat down to eat, reminded them, you were bought with a price. You're a redeemed people. You were rescued from judgment. The unleavened bread in Exodus 12, 17 through 20, God instructs Israel this. You are to observe the festival of unleavened bread because on this very day I brought your military divisions out of the land of Egypt. You must observe this day throughout your generations as a permanent statute. You are to eat unleavened bread in the first month 
from the evening of the 14th day of the month until the evening of the 21st day. Yeast must not be found in your houses for seven days. Do not eat anything leavened. Eat unleavened bread in all your homes. What's up with the emphasis on unleavened bread? Well, there's multiple meanings for this. First, the unleavened bread represented Israel's haste removal, hasty removal from Egypt. They didn't have time to cook a fresh loaf of bread because they were getting out of there very quickly. And so all they had was time was to make unleavened bread. So there was a very practical reason why there was unleavened bread involved in this meal. But the deeper reason is this. Unleavened bread represented a new beginning, new life. You see, in, in the ancient world, to make bread, you had to use the yeast or the leaven left over from an old loaf of bread, and you kind of hold on to that, that'd be left over, and then you would use it for a new batch. And over time, that yeast and that leaven would get contaminated. It would get dirty. And so at some point, you had to throw that leaven out and start over. And having Israel eat unleavened bread for seven days, here's what God was saying. Your old life is over. That old leaven, that old yeast, that old life of slavery and sin in Egypt, it's gone. New life, new hope, new identity, new purpose. Everything changes from here. Cast out the old, step into the new. Makes absolute and complete sense. And so taken together, these elements of remembrance and celebration were to shape the, the identity of the people of God. You're a redeemed people. You've been bought with blood and saved from judgment. You've been rescued from slavery and given new life. You're in covenant relationship with God. You are now the people of God to walk in holiness and righteousness and truth and goodness and grace. You are to be people who imitate what you celebrate. And to further reinforce this identity, God instructs Israel that when they enter the promised land, they're to redeem every firstborn male. So there was a ceremony where they were to redeem the firstborn. Firstborn animals, so if it was an animal that they could eat, they would redeem this animal by sacrificing it to the Lord, giving it over to the Lord, sacrificing it, and eating it. If it was an animal that they didn't eat, like a donkey that they would use to work the field, there would be another animal as a substitute. And if they didn't have an animal that would substitute, then that animal would die. But when it came to their sons... God strictly forbade them from sacrificing children. That was, that was entirely off limits. So what they were to do was to buy back their sons. It doesn't give the price here in Exodus, but in Numbers chapter 3, we learn that the price was five sanctuary shekels. And so they would go through the ceremony where it would be handing over their, their firstborn to the Lord, as if to the Lord, and they would buy back that son, redeem that son back into the family. Why the ceremony of redeeming the firstborn? To remind Israel, you were redeemed. Your very family structure is going to go through this process to remind you, you were redeemed. God judged Egypt by striking down the firstborn in Egypt, but he passed over your firstborn sons to redeem you and save you. Never forget it. Never forget you were bought. You belong to the Lord. Over and over and over again through celebration and ceremony and remembrance, God is calling Israel to remember who they are and what he has done. Now here's the question, why? 
Why go through such great pains to remember and celebrate year after year after year after year? Because it's just as Steve reminded us this morning in a call to worship. We are forgetful people. I'm not talking about we forget where we put our car keys or we forget someone's name because we just met them. No, we forget deeper things, deeper truths. We forget things like the grace of God. We forget things like we need redemption. We forget things like we can't earn our own salvation. We forget things like the goodness and the faithfulness and the power of God. I mean, just think about this. Later on in the story, in Exodus, the very people who watched God drop 10 plagues of judgment, the very people who would see God split open the sea so they could pass through, the very people who would see God produce bread from heaven, bring water out of a rock, supernaturally feed them with quail, do everything that they needed, would start grumbling and complaining, acting as if God had not rescued them and was not taking care of them. They would forget that God had redeemed them out of slavery so much so they wanted to go back. This is how forgetful they were. And the consequences were devastating. Grumbling, complaining, fear, doubt, despair, division, fighting amongst themselves, rebelling against Moses, bringing the judgment of God down on them because of the way they were rebelling against God. Being forgetful has tremendous consequences, and God knows our weaknesses. God knows our sin. God knows our struggles. And so he gives us means to remember and celebrate so we won't forget. And friends, you and I are the same way, no? Are we not the same way? Are we not those who are prone to forget? When we forget the grace of God, we do some crazy and sometimes stupid things. Like we will forget the grace of God. And in forgetting the grace of God, we will try to perform for other people and for God as if we can earn acceptance and identity and salvation. We will run ourselves ragged trying to perform and earn. How when we forget the goodness of God, when we forget the glory of God, we will chase after things like status and success and wealth and comfort and pleasure as if those are the greatest good. We will give our lives to achieve those things. We will live for those things rather than the glory and goodness of God. Friends, when we forget the faithfulness of God, we become driven by fear and despair and angst and anger. And we will try to grab for control over our lives and try to control other people. Oh, we go to crazy and stupid and unhelpful places when we forget God. When we forget the grace of God and we forget what God has done, this is the sad part. When we forget these things, we will willingly choose slavery over freedom. We will walk in slavery to sin and fear rather than walking in the freedom of new life. Forgetfulness. Forgetfulness has devastating consequences. This is why it is good for us to remember and celebrate Because friends, no matter what we celebrate and remember, we're going to imitate it. We're going to imitate what we celebrate no matter what. We're just wired that way. And so the question is, what are we celebrating? What are we remembering? Here's the good news for us, though, church. As much as Israel had to celebrate, we have something greater. (laughs) 
as life-changing, identity-shaping, history-altering as the Passover was, it was a foreshadow. It was pointing to something greater. There's something even more life-changing, even more identity-shaping, even more history-altering than the Passover. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26, we read that when Jesus sat down with his disciples to eat the Passover meal, as good Jewish men, they sat down to be faithful to this meal, to celebrate and to remember God's redemption. And they sit down at this meal, and Jesus does something radical. This defining moment in the history of Israel, this, def- this identity-defining, history-altering, life-changing event that Israel found all identity in, Jesus says, hey, guess what, guys? This meal is about me. Utterly radical. This is what he says. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it, and broke it, gave it to the disciples, and said, take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. The unleavened bread of Passover. All that meaning, all that significance ultimately pointed to the body of Christ that was going to be given for our new life. The blood of the lamb, how that represented um, redemption and forgiveness of sin and being passed over from judgment, that ultimately pointed to the lamb of God who once and for all died on the cross and whose blood completely pays for the sins of God's people Friends, for all that Israel had to celebrate in the Passover, the redemption and the freedom and the new life and the hope for the future, all of that, as glorious and as good as it was, was but a foretaste of something even greater. Because in the Passover, the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed year after year after year. As the book of Hebrews tells us, it never could truly take away sins. It covered over them, it, it, it stood in place and for, for a time, but it can never take away sins. But Jesus, the true Lamb of God, when he was sacrificed, it was once and for all. Jesus doesn't just cover sins. He washes them completely away. In the Passover, God set Israel free from the hardship of slavery to Egypt. He set them free from the, the shame of slavery and, and Egypt's corrupting influence. He set them free to a new life. But in Christ... Through Christ, God sets us free from slavery to sin. He sets us free from its power and its corruption and its shame. Through Christ, we have now have the Holy Spirit who's renewing us and transforming us and giving us new life and making us more like Jesus. In the Passover, God redeemed Israel, a particular ethnic people. But through Jesus Christ, God is redeeming people from every tribe and tongue and nation. The scope of salvation has gone global. In the Passover, God judged Egypt and the false gods of Egypt. But through the cross of Christ, God has defeated every evil ruler and power and authority, every false god, both physical and spiritual. And in the resurrection of Christ, God has defeated death itself. In the Passover, God set Israel free that they may journey to the promised land, a wonderful land, but a land still corrupted by sin, a land that could still be invaded by enemies. But through Christ, God not only redeems his people, but he is going to redeem and renew all things. Through Christ, 
God is going to renew the heavens and the earth. One day you and I who are in Christ will be resurrected with new bodies, free from sin, free from sickness and disease. And the entire creation will be redeemed and set free as we read in Romans 8. A new heavens and a new earth, never again to be corrupted by sin, never again to be corrupted by evil. A place where all enemies are defeated forever, new and full and lasting life for eternity, a glorious renewal. This is what Jesus Christ accomplished. Friends, Israel had reason to celebrate. We have all the more reason to celebrate. The Passover, for all that it meant, we have something even greater. Christ has died, even more Christ is raised, and Christ is coming again. And we celebrate that in the Lord's Supper. That's what we celebrate in the Lord's Supper. Now, Scripture doesn't command us to celebrate every Sunday, but we celebrate it every Sunday here at First City. Why? Because Jesus is worth celebrating. The gospel is worth remembering. And because we're so forgetful. <laughs> we are forgetful people and we're honest about that. We recognize the way that it is so, so easy for us to lose sight of the grace and the power and the love and the goodness of God. So we remember and celebrate the gospel to be shaped by the gospel. Look, I, let, 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 let's be honest. Let's be honest. Yeah, life is difficult, right? Life's hard. It's painful. You're battling your own sin and how that can be exhausting. And then you have circumstances that are outside of your control that can feel overwhelming. And then you got personal conflict. Oh boy. Conflict in your marriage, conflict with your kids, conflict at work. And then you got to walk around with bodies that don't function as you wish they would, prone to sickness and disease and brokenness. Sometimes your internal mental world is chaotic, and that's exhausting. It's hard. It's painful. Friends, there are so many things throughout a day and throughout a week that just bear down on us, let alone the lies of the enemy and the lies of the world. So much to deal with. And so it's no wonder we lose sight of the grace of God. It makes complete sense. It's understandable why we would. It's understandable why we would be given over to things like fear and anxiety and despair. Why we would run ourselves ragged trying to perform for other people. Why we would chase things like pleasure and comfort because they feel so good in the moment. They feel like a release and escape. Makes complete sense. But friends, the pathway of all those things is not life. It's not life. It's not joy. It's not peace. It's not freedom. And so this is the good news for us. That in the midst of all of that, we get to come on Sunday mornings. We get to gather as God's people. And we get to celebrate and remember what Jesus has done to be reoriented to what is true to be reminded what is true, to be shaped in what is true, to be strengthened in what is true. Friends, here is the good news that is held out for us each and every week in the bread and in the wine, is that Christ has died, but Christ has been raised, and Christ is coming again, and there is hope in that. There is a life in that. And so this morning, let me ask you, do you come here con feeling condemned by your sin? feeling that sense of condemnation in your heart that you're a sinner, 
Christ invites you to his table to confess your sin and be reminded of this truth, that you have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of your sins. Now come and take hold of that promise and be at peace at his table. Maybe you're feeling trapped by your sin this morning, feeling overwhelmed by its power. You feel like you're a slave to its power. Christ invites you to his table to be reminded that through him, through his life and death and resurrection, you have died to sin and been brought to new life. Oh, come to his table and experience freedom. Or maybe you're here this morning and you're feeling worn out because you have been trying to perform for people. Man, you think that you have got to earn status and earn a place for people to like you. Like if you want God to accept you, then you've got to do all the religious activity. If you want to be accepted in this community, then you've got to perform for people. You want to be accepted at work, then you've got to hit that bottom line. And so you live your entire life running ragged trying to perform. If that's you this morning, Christ invites you to his table to remind you you've been clothed with his righteousness. No need to perform. You are accepted because of his performance. Take hold of that promise and find rest at his table. Do you come here this morning tied up in knots by despair and anxiety? Do you feel like your internal mental and emotional world is just chaos? Well, Christ invites you to his table to remind you you have a father who loves you. And you can cast your burdens on him. He sees you. He sees your pain. He sees that chaos. And he loves you in it. And he needs you in it. Take hold of that promise and find joy at the table. Do you come here this morning carrying the pain of a broken body, the pain of sickness and disease, worn out, because your body, you can tell it's breaking down. The shadow of death feels like it's right over your shoulder. Christ invites you to his table to remind you, one day, your body is gonna be resurrected in glory and power, free from corruption. Take hold of that promise and find hope at the table. You feel the weight of evil in this world? oppression, corruption. Christ invites you to his table to remind you one day the victorious king will reign. He's coming back to put an end to all evil and all oppression. He will defeat all his enemies. Take hold of that promise and find strength at the table. Church, we remember and celebrate the gospel to be shaped by the gospel. In the midst of our pain, in the midst of our mess, in the midst of hardship, we come every Sunday to celebrate and to be strengthened and renewed and reoriented. And here's the effect that that has on our lives. Here's the hope that we have, that as we are shaped in the gospel, we imitate what we celebrate. Yes, we're messy. Yes, we blow it. Yes, this is, this is not going to be easy until Christ returns and renews all things. But... We have so much hope because of the power of the gospel. And so we imitate what we celebrate. And so here's my, my heart and my hope for First City Church is that as we celebrate and remember the gospel week after week after week, we would be a people that are known for those who make a big deal about Jesus. 
Like we're so aware of our need for grace and salvation and redemption that we're constantly saying, Jesus is great, Jesus is glorious, Jesus is enough. Give me Jesus. Let me remember, let me celebrate. And in that remembrance, in that celebration, we're changed and we're transformed. We're a people who delight in loving and sacrificing for other people. We're a people who delight in telling about others about Jesus and pointing them to the grace that is found in him rather than people who are given over to despair and and anxiety and self-pity. No, here's what happens. We're full of faith and hope and grace. Rather than those who are selfish and self-centered, trying to perform for people and gain status in each other's eyes, no, we sacrificially love and serve. Rather than being those who chase after comfort and pleasure and escape, no, we're those who chase after holiness and righteousness and goodness and truth and beauty Imitate what we celebrate. And here's what is so encouraging. It's happening in this community. Do you know it's happening in this community? Just before I came on stage, I was, was talking with a dear sister in our church, and she was overwhelmed with excitement at what she was seeing in this community. The grace of God that is taking place in this community. People celebrating the grace of God. Yeah, acknowledging brokenness, acknowledging the need for Christ, not not denying any of that, but being so overwhelmed by the grace of God that there's joy and there's excitement and a desire to encourage one another, to lift each other up, to build up one another, to use your gifts to serve serve this church. Like it's happening, friends. There's so much grace in this community, so much to be encouraged by, and that happens as we continue to celebrate and remember the gospel. And so church, let us be a people who imitate what we celebrate. Let us be a people who are shaped by the gospel as we remember and celebrate the gospel. And in that, let us be a community that loves, serves, sacrifices, and goes into this city and into this world and proclaims the gospel. Amen? Let's pray.